We are in our Big City, Big Question series. I'm really excited about it. And I'm just really excited about this season in general. Like, it's, we've had great weather. Um, I took my girls to Cedarvale Ravine yesterday, and we kind, of, it's, we kind of walked through the ravine, and we took our pumpkins. So they had little baby pumpkins, and then I had, like, a medium-sized one. And it's all nature there. So we took our pumpkins, and we smashed them against stuff. Because <laughs> they're rotting, right? They're moldy. They're like rotting. So I was like, hey, girls, let's take up pumpkins and just like throw them against rocks and stuff in the trees. So we went and did that. And Emerson looks at me and she's like, hey, daddy, can we do this again next year? <laughs> can we get pumpkins? And I was like, awesome. Tradition born. Like now we have a tradi- tradition in our house. We're going to go smash pumpkins every year. So um, I'm looking forward to, the nat- to that next year. Um, But we're also, like I said, in our Big City, Big Question sermon series, and this is just a really exciting time for our church. We've been doing this video installment for the past two years. This will be the third installment. Uh, The website uh, went live last night. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. And uh, this is just a great opportunity for us to have spiritual conversations with each other, but then also to do that in our city and to show us that our city really is concerned about these questions because these are the questions that they're asking. So our series this, uh, this year that we're currently in, all these questions have been pulled out of the video of, of going around Toronto asking 70, 80 people, however many it was, and saying, uh, what do you think about this? And so all these questions are coming from that. And so take a look at this video. This will introduce you a little bit to our topic uh, this morning. Um, I wouldn't. Uh, my child. My child? Yeah. You think they would understand What do you mean you wouldn't? I, I think that's, that, that's like, that's the bombshell. If you try to explain God, it's, it's too much. I don't know. I, I, that's, that's exactly what I would say. <clears throat> I would say you're my child. You're my child. Yeah. All right, let's see if we can beat that. It's not about beating. <laughs> I just think that that's that's an intense question because uh, I think some people might interpret just different answers a different way. Yeah, but saying saying uh, telling someone that they're your child gives uh, maybe like maybe like a bit of a sense of ease, a sense of uh, connection, placement. Yeah, yeah. Never thought of it. That if you're way. someone's child, you, you have an identity, mm-hmm. right? All right, so our question today is, if God is real, why does God care who you are? Okay, so last week, or, or the first week, we kind of talked about miracles and, and hit uh, kind of this, this um, atheist perspective. Last week, we, we talked about the question of what is God's relationship to the universe, and really kind of hit this pantheistic culture that, that we live in. And this week, we're saying if, if God is actually... God, if he actually exists, then is God just this transcendent, impersonal uh, being that is up somewhere in the sky and space in the universe somewhere, or does God really care who you are? And the Christian God that we talk about at Trinity Life Church that we believe in cares exactly who you are. So we're going to answer the question, Why? This morning, and it's really simple. This is this is the answer. God cares who you are because He created you to be like Him. That's why He cares. That's why He cares how you live your life. That's why He cares what you do. That's why He cares 
that you had issues this week. That's why he cares that you use your talents well, uh, because he created you to be like him. And Molly uh, read that this morning out of Genesis 1. And this is the awesome thing uh, uh, about this question is um, all I get to do this morning is talk about our vision statement and and talk about the Bible and, and what it says about this. Our vision statement at Trinity Life Church is discovering identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world. Okay? I love that vision statement. It's not just because Daniel and I crafted, crafted it three years ago and it's beautiful, but because it's actually true and we talk about it a lot and, I, and we're always talking about identity in Christ, identity in Christ. And someone said to me a couple weeks ago, they've been at Trinity Life for almost two years now, and they said, I always hear you guys talk about identity in Christ. We talk about it all the time. And I kept on hearing it, I kept on hearing it, but it wasn't until a month ago that I actually realized what it meant. And sometimes I feel like we're a broken record. We talk about what it means and, and talk about identity all the time. But for her, it, it was just a journey of faith where she now, now she's starting to really realize what her identity in Christ is and what that means for her life. And so we're going to talk about identity this morning, and we have to get that right Okay, the, th- the reason we have it identity and then destiny is because what a lot of us tend to do, uh, and then we have influencing afterwards, what a lot of us tend to do is mix these up. And instead of working out of our identity in Christ, we're actually working out of our destiny or our purpose, or we're actually working out of how we influence others. So let me break it down for you. So we have identity in Christ, we have destiny in Christ, and destiny is, is this purpose, it's this idea of... of um, what God has created us to do, okay? And I say what God has created us to do because I believe this is a collective purpose. Your destiny is not different from my destiny or from her destiny or his destiny. We all have one destiny. Uh, we all have, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But the way, we, the way we live out that destiny is how we influence our city and the world. And that's where your personality comes in. That's where your talent comes in. That's where your abilities come in. That's where your relationships come in, um, the way you influence, okay, is living out of your destiny, but it's also living out of your identity, and all these things flow out of your identity. Once we put identity in the back and put influencing in the front, what do you think happens? We get focused on our successes and our failures, and those begin to define us, not our identity in Christ. What do you think happens when we put our destiny before our, our identity? Same thing. Like, Jesus is no longer defining who we are. And in, and in the Father, in Christ Jesus, we're already approved. So what happens when we, when we mix it up is we start, other things start defining us instead of who Jesus says we are. Okay? So we're going to go through four things this morning that when God created us, out of the passage that Molly read, when God created us... Um, that he spoke into us. Last week we talked about the power of word and how it's so powerful. God speaks things into us. We get to speak things into each other's lives. Um, and there's so much power in, in word. And this week we're going to talk about what those four things are. God speaks four things into us when he created us. Uh, a couple are coming out of that passage, and we'll hit some other passages as well. <clears throat> the first thing is his image. 
God speaks his image into us. Now, take that, take that, and then we're going to shelve it. And now we're going we're to talk about it at the end because I really want to spend a lot of time on it. So the first thing he speaks to us is his image. Now we're going to move to the second thing. We'll come back to the first thing. Okay? Um, second thing he speaks into us is the ability to worship, obey, and love. This is coming out of Genesis 2.15. I always feel like turning to the beginning of Genesis is, is the hardest place to find. Because there's like table contents and abbreviations and stuff. Um, okay, Genesis 2.15 says this. It says, The Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he takes the man and he puts him in the garden. And this is, this is before Eve is created. He takes the man, puts him in the garden. And he says he puts him in it to work it and keep it. And this is how Adam uh, worships and obeys God. Uh, and then he gives him a command. Okay, he gives them this command, just, just one thing. He doesn't give them a list of things or, or rules. He just says, here's one thing. You can eat of any tree except that tree. Why do you guys think he, he gives God this, this command? You know, this is, this is where everybody points to the establishment of free will. Uh, God is giving mankind free will in this moment because he's, he's setting something up and he's saying, you need of anything except this. So you have the freedom to choose. You have the freedom to choose to eat of it or not to eat of it. Okay? And he says you'll surely die. So really you have the freedom to choose life as much as you want or to choose death. Okay? And, that's, and that's your freedom. What's really awesome about this is not just free will. Like, I actually don't like using that term. I use, I use the term or the phrase power of moral choice, because I, re- I feel like it conveys more what, this, what God actually gives us. Free will is like, oh, I'm free to do anything, but really I'm not. I can't fly if I wanted to right now. Um, I can't like, speak another language like that if I wanted to. Um, so it's not really free will. Um, God's really giving us the power of moral choice to choose life or to choose death, to choose right, to choose wrong, to choose to obey and worship, or to choose not to. And what's inherent in that is the power to love. God's giving them the power to love. Okay, he's giving them the power to follow him and love him or to love something else, themselves, their pride, wisdom, the world, the enemy, whatever it is. And he's giving them this power to choose, love or not to love. Okay? That's, that's huge because God didn't create a bunch of robots. Like we, you sit here this morning and you can choose to believe what I'm saying or you can choose not to believe what I'm saying. You can choose to believe what this book says or you can choose not to believe what it says. If God was this authoritarian figure, he would just say, all right, I made all you guys, and now all you guys have to believe this. No, he gives Adam this choice at the very beginning, this power to love, this power of moral choice, this power to choose. Daniel and I, um, and 
Matthew Lilly, we were at a conference a couple weeks ago in Washington, D.C. It's called Spreading the Peace, and um, we went down there because our mentor, a guy named Bob Roberts, who was here this summer, um, he, uh, Bob Roberts does, he's, he does a whole bunch of global engagement. He's, he's highly connected around the world. He put this conference on with the leader of the Islamic Society of North America. I mean, this is the Muslim leader in North America, um, in Washington, D.C. There's a meeting between, uh, between Christians and between Muslims, between, uh, pastors, ministers, and imams, khatibs, you know, they, we all met together. And the purpose was to promote religious freedom in countries around the world. Uh, one of the countries there that was highlighted was, was Pakistan. And uh, the grand imam of, of Pakistan was there. And this guy, like he, when he's up on the stage, he kind of stands like this. He kind of looks down his nose like this, and um, he's wearing this gold-colored hat and gold-colored robe. He just looks prestigious. He looks important. He looks arrogant, um, and he's got, like, this really nice beard, and he's just standing there, and uh, and you can't tell because he didn't speak a whole lot of English, um, but uh, so he's up there, uh, which is huge. I mean, the grand imam of, of Pakistan, this guy has... A mosque, the capacity is 100,000 people. 100,000 people. <laughs> that's crazy. That's bigger. That's twice the size of the Rogers Center. More than twice the size of the Rogers Center. 100,000. And he has five services a day, you know, because the prayer times. I, that's, it's just wild. Um, and so uh, afterwards at the press conference, <clears throat> I was just standing there in the crowd with a whole bunch of other people were standing there. And the granny mom's up there. And there's, there are a whole bunch of other figures up there as well. Um, there, yeah, a whole bunch of other guys. There's this one guy who's the South African ambassador to the U.S. who uh, shared the jail cell with Nelson Mandela. Um, super inspirational. I couldn't believe I was, like, shaking this guy's hand and telling, them who, telling him who I was, which he probably didn't care. But uh, <laughs> he asked. So um, it was just amazing. Like one person removed from Nelson Mandela. I was like doing signs and stuff. And it, no, he didn't get it. So um, I was standing at the press conference. All these guys are on stage. And uh, someone puts their hand on my shoulder. And I look. And it's the grand imam. And I'm like, huh. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing here? How'd you get down here? <laughs> And why is your hand touching me? Like, <laughs> I feel so honored right now. And um, that, that what, how I just described him, like, that was gone. He was all smiles, and he, he introduced himself to me. And he's like, hi, I'm, uh, I think his name's like, Malana Syed Muhammad Abdul, and then three other names. Um, it's a long, long name. So he introduced himself to me, and I'm like, I'm Mike. <laughs> and uh, he speaks very little English, um, enough to hold a, you know, a few-minute conversation to do, like, formalities and um, all smiles. And uh, was, he asked where I was from, and I was like, I'm from Toronto. He's like, oh, I'll be there next year. And I was like, oh, cool. And he's like, well, here's, I just said cool to the granny mom of Pakistan. <laughs> 
And uh, he's like, here's my card with my personal information on it. Contact me, and when I'm in Toronto, we can meet up. And I was like, really? <laughs> you want to meet up with me? Um, it was just so cool, like just meeting this guy. Well, there's another guy there who started, uh, his name is, is Leif Hetland. He, this guy has come out of the Bethel movement, and he started engaging Pakistan 20 years ago. And this, he's a Norwegian, um, really cool, unique accent. And 20 years ago, he went into Pakistan and just started sharing the gospel, just started uh, sharing Jesus and, and what we call evangelizing. And quickly, he realized, ah, this isn't going to work here. Like, what, I'm, why am I doing that? Why am I, like, leading with beliefs? And he, he changed it, and he started leading with love and relationships. And he just started meeting people, building relationships, sharing the love of Jesus, and earning, earning a chance to share beliefs later on. But first, serving with his heart and with his hands. And uh, one of the guys he met was uh, this older guy, and uh, just, just uh, built a relationship with this guy who was a, a Muslim scholar, um, and they became close friends. And, and this guy, who, who Leif befriended, had a son. And one day he, he said to all three of them, the father says to Leif and his son, he says, because we're friends, that means you guys are friends. And more than that, you guys are brothers. And he joined their hands. 20 years later, because of, uh, because of love and this power to love and him choosing to love, this guy who's his brother, who's, his, who's Leif's best friend, is now the grand imam of Pakistan. Like, that's how God works through love. And that's how God works through our power to, to love. And when we choose to show love, he does kingdom things like that. Like, 20 years ago, he would have had no idea who this guy is. Just some 20-year-old guy like he was. And now in his 40s, life has this tremendous worldwide ministry. Um, and uh, Milana is the granny mom of, of Pakistan. And they're close friends. And now he has freedom to share whatever he wants to share because of their friendship. And so this is the power to love. And this is what God, what God gives us. Uh, I say this all the time because the Apostle Paul says it. But um, when we share truth and there's no love with it, we're just a clanging symbol, Paul says. We're just like that little toy monkey that like runs around and clings his symbols together. And nobody wants to hear that because all they hear is noise, noise, and, and, and they don't hear your truth. But when you love, that's when you earn, earn uh, ability and earn a path to share truth. So God gives us his power, and that's, this is our destiny, guys, to worship, to obey, to really to choose to love. This is our destiny that God's given us, our collective destiny as his children. So um, really, God, uh, just from the get-go here with destiny, this flies in the face of deism. And deism says that there's this God who is transcendent, above, he's not personal. And many, many religions today are, are deistic in some sense because of this. Like God is just, yes, there is a God, he's created the world, and they refer to God as this clockmaker who created this clock. He spun it, set it down, let it go, and then stepped away. That's not our God. Our God wants us to worship him, obey him, and choose to love him. 
Okay, so that's the second thing. We'll go back to the first thing. Remember, the, 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 the third thing is the blessing of kingdom culture. Uh, so this is something that God speaks into. This, this is coming out of uh, verse 28 in chapter 1. It says, and God blessed them. Guys, this is God's first blessing in the scriptures. That's pretty amazing. Um, I actually just realized that as I was reading this passage this week. This is God's first blessing to us, which means it's probably pretty significant, right? So when God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So his blessing is a few things. It's to multiply, it's to fill the earth, um, and then it's to subdue and have dominion. And this, when he says subdue here, um, he's talking, this, this word really talks about taming something that's wild. So even before, like, God just made creation, like, mankind is to go in and just subdue the earth, like, have dominion over it. And this dominion, like, we hear these words. I don't know, maybe we don't. We were the dominion of Canada for many, many years, um, and we didn't feel oppressed, right? Um, I don't know, I just moved here three years ago. <laughs> Did you guys feel oppressed? <laughs> um, but sometimes when people hear dominion, they think, oh, that's a bad word, like, we don't want to have dominion over things. But what you should hear is God's given us uh, an ability to exercise something that he has. This sovereignty is what this word could be translated as. God has given us sovereignty and, and control over creation, over over what we do with it, stewardship, okay? And uh, so don't hear uh, dominion theology. There's this, like, branch of, of theology that, that takes this word and kind of, like, goes the other way with it and, and says that we need to have dominion and we need to establish theocratic rule. This is, like, what Iran is. It's a theocracy. Um, like, that's not what this is saying. This is saying that we are to exercise God's sovereignty the way he exercises it over what he's given us. Now, this looks different pre-fall. Because just another cha- uh, two chapters from here, sin enters the world. And now if we had to subdue and tame something that was, that was a little wild before, now it's really, really wild post-fall. So it does look a little different. But uh, the way we do this is by living out certain things. We live out our identity. We live out this image that God has put in us. Okay, And if you look at... If you look at, uh, we just preached through Deuteronomy last, last series. If you look at Deuteronomy 4, um, when he's crafting a people as a vehicle of redemption for the world, he brings them uh, to a point right before they enter the promised land, and he says certain things to them. And he says, just live out my image, basically. Just live out like you're close to me, like I'm your God. Just live that out, and people will take notice when you go into the land. And it'll do something. People will know that you're different. And they'll seek me. And then Jesus, Jesus, uh, when he comes in the New Testament, he gives us certain things in Matthew 5 through 7 as to what this kingdom culture looks like. Like, how, what, how do we bless others with this kingdom culture? Because that's, that's what we're to do. We're to bless others with it. And he says here in, in Matthew 5, and I love this because, remember, God's first blessing is to multiply, fill, subdue, have dominion, is to really multiply this kingdom culture, 
Okay, make disciples. And then when Jesus starts out, his very first sermon is a list of blessings. It's not a list of things we're doing wrong. It's a list of blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. And then he shows us what the kingdom looks like. Love your enemies. Be salt. Be light. Preserve my culture is, is what those are saying. Now he redefines certain things like lust and anger. He says anger isn't this external thing. Anger actually starts here and here in your heart and in your mind. And so you're angry before it even comes out here. Lust, he says, you've already sinned because it's in your heart and in your mind. Like, let's stop looking at the externals. And he redefines what the kingdom is. He talks about giving to the poor and the needy, not to be anxious, you know, working not for this world but for the world to come. And he says, don't be anxious about anything because my Father will give you whatever you need. All these things are our kingdom culture. And that's what we get to multiply out. This is the way we influence the world. So whatever it is that's specific to your personality, your giftings, your ability, your talents, your relationships, all these things that I just talked about that Jesus says affect and direct that. So let's say that you influence, you know, your identity is in Christ, your, your destiny is in Christ, and then you influence our city and the world through music, okay? That would never be me. I don't, I can't do musical things. So <laughs> I got no, no music bone in my body. Um, but Emerson wants to play the violin, and Reagan wants to play the piano. So we're going to see whose genes they got. So um, actually, you're not musical either, so... Maybe you're going back a few generations. So let's say it's through music. Well, through music, these things should define your music, this kingdom culture that we just talked about. Blessing others, loving your enemies, all these, all these things should define the way you do music. Okay? Let's say it's through uh, the medical field. Um, like all these things should define how you operate in the medical field. Okay? Because... Ultimately, your identity isn't how good of a doctor or nurse uh, you are. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity isn't uh, in how successful a musician you are. Your identity is in Christ. Okay? So, um, yeah, let's move to, let's move to the, third, the third point. Third point is this, uh, or fourth, fourth thing that God gives to us. He speaks community into us. So in Genesis 2.18, he says, going back to the beginning, he says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make, I'll make him a helper fit for him. And so community. This is the means of accomplishing the other three. You know, the reality is that you may never be a world influencer, you may never influence the world through your music or your medical practice or your teaching, your teaching uh, position or uh, anything like that. Um, but you're part of something bigger that is influencing the world for those things. Because Christian community and your Christian life was never, ever, ever meant to be lived alone. It was always meant to be lived corporately, okay? 
So that means that if you're at Trinity Life Church, the successes of Trinity Life Church are your successes. But also the failures of Trinity Life Church are your failures. Um, that means that, um, you know, if Adam ever makes it big in a music career, which that isn't his ambition, but if he ever does, like, I was a part of that. That's, that's the success I get to celebrate because we're brothers in Christ. Um, we, I, I hate, we're too much in the church where we're pulling each other down. Are we envious of each other? Are we uh, jealous of each other? Um, Christian community, again, we were never meant to do it on our own. This is a Western mentality, individualization. It's a Western mentality. We're meant to do it corporately. And so we're meant to influence our city guys together. And not just Trinity Life Church. We're meant to do it with the body of Christ in Toronto. Uh, and we're meant to do it uh, and in Canada. We're meant to do it with the churches across Canada. And then we get to do it, do it around the world together. Um, I think Monday... And this coming up Monday are, I think it's Monday, are the national or international days of the persecuted church. Is anybody, can anybody affirm that? No, you guys know nothing about that. Okay. Um, yeah, there's, there's an international day for the persecuted church. Um, so Syria is, is really big right now on everyone's minds um, in that whole ISIS-controlled controlled region. But there's actually two this year. Some celebrated uh, this week, and then some celebrate it uh, the following week. The number one thing that the persecuted church wants uh, that they've said through interviews and things is for the non-persecuted church, which would be us, um, to pray for them. And that's it. They want the non-persecuted church to recognize their sufferings and pray for them because their sufferings are our sufferings even though we don't feel it, like physically. Like when they suffer, we suffer. And there's unity, and there's just so much strength in that. And so that's the fourth thing. God gives us community. God gives us a blessing of kingdom culture. God gives us um, the ability to worship, obey, and love. And just to, just to praise the community we're a part of, like, Missy and I were in an accident this week. Um, we were just sitting on Bayview and stopped, and then someone just crashed in the back of our car and totaled it. Um, thank you for you guys who helped us out. Thank you for those who called us. Thank you for those, um, and I know those who didn't know about it, who, who um, uh, if you had known about it, you would have done the same. Like, that's community. You guys really lifted us up this week. You guys, um, yeah, just... We, we just, we love uh, that, that we have a community that um, uh, doesn't let us do life alone. You know, Peter, real quick, this is kind of an aside, but Peter says, so there's a story in the scriptures where, where Jesus uh, tells this rich ruler, um, this rich ruler comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus says these things. And he's like, what do I need to do to follow you? And, and Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the guy goes away sad because he can't do that. And Jesus kind of turns around, and, and <laughs> it's almost like in the text. Um, Jesus turns around, and Peter's right here. And Peter's like, hey, we did that. We left everything the, the scriptures say, Peter says, we left everything for you. We left home, 
mom, dad, brother, sister, work, everything. And Jesus doesn't, like, rebuke him, or he doesn't, like, push him aside. Um, a lot of things he does that, uh, he, a lot of things he does that with, uh, in Peter's responses. Instead, he affirms Peter. And he says, yes, you have left everything. You've left, and he affirms everything. He says, you left moms, you left dads, you left brothers, sisters, and he goes down this list. And he says, you're going to receive a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. And what's awesome about that, he doesn't say, oh, you'll get it back in heaven, Peter. He says, no, you actually see return on the cost in this life. Because you didn't just give something up, you invested in something amazing, the kingdom of God. And you'll see return on that. And I mean, we, three years ago, that was our situation. We left everything and came up here, and God has just uh, returned to us, brothers and sisters and moms and dads and um, family. And it's, it's been awesome. So thank you guys um, for the community we have here. It's just beautiful. All right, image. Let's, let's talk about his image. So this is the big thing. If we don't get identity and God's image in us right, then all these other things, destiny, influencing, community, um, you know, they're going to be how we, this means, like they're, they're all going to be done poorly. They're not going to be done correctly. So literally, uh, Molly read this, this, this word image here. God creates us in his image, and he says, uh, also in his likeness, after our likeness. Literally, this is saying that God cut a part of his self out and put it in us. Okay? Literally, this word is saying that we were something cut out of the divine. We were something cut out of God. His image is in us. And that's why this video that we showed is so beautiful because these guys are standing there in the park playing softball and, and um, this guy's just like, I would just tell people that you're my child because he understands what this father-son, mother-son, mother-daughter, father-daughter relationship is like. Okay, And so God gives us his image. And what's really beautiful about all of Genesis 1 is you see this God speaks light into existence. And he says, let there be. And then he does this over and over again for other things. Let there be, let there be, let there be. And he's speaking all these things. You know, animals are rising up out of the earth. Like plants are coming up. And he's just speaking those. When he gets here, he says, let us make. And it's super personal. And then he forms mankind out of the dust of the ground. Think about that. Out of the dust of the ground. God isn't taken like... Um, an arm here and a leg here. He's not taking big pieces. Think about this as a puzzle, like a 30-piece puzzle versus a 1,000-piece puzzle. Like there's a huge difference. One is intricate and intimate. The other is my four-year-old daughter could put it together in two minutes, right? But God, he forms us from the dust of the ground, dust, tiny, and he pieces us together. He says, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness, male and female, he created them. And so he takes time. It's super intimate here. And the image here, uh, a lot of people, there's, there's discussion around what the image actually is. And I think, uh, so there's the representative view, which is we represent God. 
we have God's characteristics and we represent God to this world. So God is love, so we love. God is holy, so uh, we try to be holy, okay? Um, Things like that. God is good. God is just. We we try to do those things. Okay, that's that's the representative view. Um, then there's the relational view that God is what we just talked about. He's really personal, and the relationship in the Trinity is key. God has perfect relationships. So really, when I manifest God's image in myself and and in others, it's through relationship. Okay, and then there's also one other view that is the functional view, and it's basically what we do. So we represent God the best by actually, by what we do, okay? I think all those are right. I don't think it's one or the other. All those are right. We represent God in our relationships by what we do and also um, by just who we are, you know, the characteristics that God's given us. Uh, let me show you a couple pictures. So this is, this is me on the left um, in my cool 80s, turtleneck um, and my corduroy pants, <laughs> which those things are, those clothes are probably cool now, I think. They've made a comeback. And that's, that's Emerson. That's Emerson on the right. So you can see we're around the same age, uh, same color hair, curly, big brown eyes, um, same type cheeks. Uh, this is Emerson, and you can see her image in me, right? You can see her image there. And me. Now let me show you Missy and Reagan. <laughs> you can barely tell them apart. That's Missy, of course, on the on the left, and then Reagan on the right in her Elsa PJs. So again, you can see you can see the image there. You can see the image of Missy in in uh, I mean of Reagan. Yeah, Missy and Reagan. So we have this we have this new thing in our family. This this we've been doing this for a while, I guess. Um, where, like, say we're sitting around the dinner table, and Emerson says something funny that's like something I would say. Um, I I point to her like this, and then I point to me, and we do this, and then she does it. And what we're doing is we're recognizing that we have similarities, that we're alike, and we do this all the time with with a bunch of things. So uh, like sometimes Missy will do it when Reagan gets angry really fast. And Missy's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like putting on me to Reagan. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's you guys. <laughs> um, but it's really special for our girls because it affirms their identity and our image in them and our characteristics in them and our relationship in them and what they do and how it's similar to what we do. And it makes me proud of them. And it makes them proud of us. And it makes both of us, like, proud of ourselves. Not in a, like, haughty, arrogant way, but, like, um, because it's affirming the image that um, I've passed down to them. The similarities and, and the likenesses in, in us. And I love it. Um, and normally whenever I do that to Emmy, she'll do it back. But then Reagan will look at Missy and go like that to each other, even just for no reason. Um, but... It's just really cool because we're, like I said, we're recognizing something in each other. And I think God does something very similar when he sees his image manifested in us. He points to you and he points to him. He says, yes, 
Yes. There's something in you that I put there. There's something in you that shows that you are my child. And that shows that I made you, that I created you. Here's the problem, though. The image of God has been corrupted in us by sin. And that image is never perfectly displayed. We just catch glimpses of it in ourselves and in others. But the awesome thing is when Jesus came, Colossians 1 says that he is the image of the invisible God. So in Jesus, we see the full image of God. So when I look at Missy, I don't see the full image. I see glimpses of it. When she looks at me, she doesn't see it fully. But when she looks at Jesus, she sees the full image of God. And Hebrews picks up on this, and Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He's the exact imprint. So all we need to do is look at Jesus. All we need to do is look at him to see God's full image. But here's another problem. Often, we deface that image of God in ourselves. We do it through self-hate. We do it through lies. We tell ourselves we're not good enough. We tell ourselves we're not worthy. We tell ourselves, I don't deserve that. We tell ourselves, I can't do this. I can't do that. Why would anybody want me? Why does anyone want to be my friend? We, we deface the image of God in us. God's put something amazing in us, and we begin to believe the lies of the enemy. We begin to be the, believe the lies of media. We begin to believe the lies that other people tell us. And people might say something to you, and you carry that around. You carry something around that somebody said to you that isn't true. And you begin to just hold back and deface that image of God within yourself. And Jesus, you know, the the scriptures say that we're like little Christ. It says we're, you know, the word Christian means little Christ. And they start to call people who follow Jesus little Christs. And instead we're, instead of having that exact image in us, we're walking around just bashing ourselves. You know, I was watching a YouTube video with the girls yesterday, um, and the ad that came on before the video we were going to watch that came on was a music, half a music video, or an ad for a music video um, of this, this girl, like teenage, low 20s, I don't know how she is, um, singing this song, and the song is Love Myself, or Love Me, or something, and it's all about loving myself. And my heart was, it was actually a really catchy song. I was like, yeah, this is cool. And then I was like, don't listen to this, girls. (laughs) Skip, skip, skip. Because it was actually really heartbreaking. Because the answer our culture gives to self-hate is you just got to love yourself more. You just got to speak good things about yourself more. And the key to overcoming self-hate isn't with self-love. It's with perfect love. It's with the love that God has for us. It's with remembering his image in us. What if, you would re- what if you realized that mirrors, every time you look in a mirror, what if you realized that mirrors had been lying to you your whole life? 
I mean, you've never actually seen your face, have you? Apart from a mirror. Try it. Like, try to look at your face. (laughs) You can't do it. So what if mirrors have been lying to you your whole life? And the good things you thought about your face or your body weren't right, and the bad things you thought weren't right. And if that means the mirrors are lying to you, then that means that everybody else, everybody else sees you differently than the way you've been seeing yourself. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. God sees you in a totally different light than you see yourself. He sees his image in you. He sees you in a totally different light than anybody sees you. He sees his, his perfect image in you that he's trying to restore. And when you're in Christ, that restoration begins. And he's restoring his image in you daily. And he wants you to see yourself, not in a glass darkly, not in a mirror dimly, but as he says, he's trying to get us to the point where we shall know fully, even as we've been fully known. And God wants this personal, personal intimate relationship with you. Nobody else is going to ever fulfill that for you. Husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, kids, co-worker, boss, neighbors. Nobody's ever going to fulfill that for you. Nothing is ever going to fulfill that for you. Success, sex, money, power, nothing. Material possessions. And going back to what that video said, God has said he is our father. You've been created in his image to worship, to obey, to multiply, to fill, to love, to live in community, to multiply kingdom culture. He's our father. He's not just our God. He's not just our Lord. He's not just our savior. He's our father who's put something in us. And he takes our orphan spirit and he makes us his children. He points to you not in condemnation and judgment, but in love. And he says, I see my holiness in you, and he points to himself. He says, I see my righteousness in you, and he points to himself. I see my goodness in you, even though you don't see it, and he points to himself. I see what I've made you to be, and he points to himself. And God's doing that to you all the time. And that's what we have in Christ. We just simply choose to worship, obey, and love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that our image is in you, that my identity is in you, and that I've realized that more and more and more. And I know that more concretely now than I did yesterday, than I did last week, than I did last year. And so I bless everybody in here this morning to just grow in that knowledge and wisdom and experience of knowing their identity in you, Lord Jesus, because it is immensely freeing. It's given me destiny and purpose and shown me how to influence our city and this world. It's birthed a community. I just praise you for that. 
So thank you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.